Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. Last week, Missouri lawmakers got their first look at Governor Eric Greitens' proposed budget. They're also mulling over whether to cut taxes once again throughout the state. But most of the attention in Jefferson City is over Greitens' uncertain political future. That's especially the case after he admitted he had an extramarital affair before he became governor, but denied allegations he blackmailed the woman against revealing the infidelity. To break all of this down, we have House Minority Leader Gail McCann Beatty of Kansas City joining us for the latest edition of the Politically Speaking podcast. The Kansas City Democrat details how her caucus is maneuvering through these uncertain times. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. Welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. And joining us from our beautiful offices in Jefferson City, Missouri, we have... the Sky-high offices. On the fifth floor of the Missouri Capitol, by the way. We have as our special guest today... Representative Gail McCann-Beatty. A Democrat from Kansas City and the House Minority Leader. That means she is the leader of the Democratic Caucus in the House. And um, just before we start with with current events, just remind our our listeners like where your district is and and also briefly just let us know like how long you've been in the legislature for. Uh, So I've been in the legislature. This is my eighth year in the House. Uh, My district is kind of midtown Kansas City. So um, if you know Kansas City, I run from 47th Street out to 99th Street and generally from Prospect um, over to the plaza. And this is your last year in the Missouri House. You are barred from running for, for the House again. Is that correct? That's correct. Time flies when you're having fun. It, so it really does. So um, we're on week two now of this controversy scandal over Governor Eric Greitens, his admission that he had an extramarital affair and the allegations that he took a photograph to and blackmail the woman into not revealing the infidelity. Those are charges that the governor strongly denies, but it's obviously caused a lot of attention in Jefferson City. Distracted a lot of people in Jefferson City. And that's going to be my first question. How has this entire situation, in your view, changed the trajectory of how you and your colleagues have dealt with this legislative session? And I ask because there was some feeling that election years are often more difficult to pass meaningful legislation. How is the controversy over the governor making it even more difficult to get things done in the legislature? Well, I think uh, in part, like you said, in election year, you really don't necessarily see a whole lot anyway. But um, I think the governor has created a distraction and 
people, I think, are much more cautious in what they file and that being related to the governor. Um, nobody uh, really knows what happened, and you don't want to get caught up as being supportive um, of what has happened. And so I think people are very um, cautious right now. And, you know, we've seen um, less news conferences, even within the legislature, than we've done in the past. Um, our legislation is a little more tempered um, right now. So it, it is definitely having an impact, and you can't walk the halls of the Capitol without that being part of the conversation. Now, the governor is launching his tax cut tour next week, and much of it's going to, at least this first leg of it, is pretty much all in rural Missouri, although there is some in your neck of the woods in Kansas City at the end. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts about how that might affect whatever else is being um, debated or discussed in Jeff City, or is it, it or is the general perception going to be that he's just trying to change the subject? I, you know, from my perspective, I think he's just trying to change the subject. I mean, tax cuts are kind of a buzzword right now. But the reality is, um, you know, he just released uh, his budget recommendations. We have a revenue issue, um, so much so that he felt we needed a payday loan to carry us through. Um, so to then go around the state and propose tax cuts, and we really don't know what impact the Senate Bill 509 is going to have just yet, or what the federal uh, tax cuts are going to have. And and to be talking about another tax cut is really irresponsible. Um, we need to figure out what, how much revenue we're going to have and how it will be spent so that we are providing the appropriate services to our citizens before we start talking about additional tax cuts. And then I think it's important to also note, um, you know, it seems like we're going down that path of Kansas. Um, the difference in Kansas is when they realize that they made a mistake, they simply reversed it. We don't get that option here. Uh, we have to go back to the vote of the people in order to reverse it. And so we could really be leading ourselves down a, um, you know, down a rabbit hole that we may not be able to recover from. Now, Senate Bill 509, just so our listeners know, is the tax cut that was approved over Governor Jay Nixon's veto in 2014. And just when it has some triggers, so bottom line is it's only been in effect for a couple of years. It's a phased-in right. uh, tax cut, but it's starting to have its effect. Plus, there's that other business tax cut that was um, supposed to be small a few years ago, but is now having a huge impact of about $200 million a year off the state budget. Um, so... When you look at all these things, um, do you see, uh, what are you hearing from your Republican colleagues? I mean, you've just laid out your case against these tax cuts. Do you think they're going to be looking at Kansas, or do you think that because it's an election year, they're going to feel like they need to go along with the governor? Um, right now, I don't think anybody is trying to tie themselves to the governor. Um, the conversations I've had with some of my colleagues, they haven't really found anyone that's even willing um, to carry uh, that legislation, at least in the House. And so, um, you know, at this point, I hope we don't. I mean, we've already seen in the Senate, um, we're looking at trying to balance our budget on the backs of our senior citizens um, by cutting the circuit breaker. Um, we really need to look at where we are right now. And to be to start proposing additional tax cuts just isn't what we need to be doing at this moment. 
As you just alluded to, and we'll get back to the tax cut discussion in a few minutes, one of the things the governor did uh, in the past few days is propose his annual budget. And what was noticeable is that there are cuts to higher education again and also cuts to Medicaid spending. Now, the higher education cuts got a lot of attention last year and it got a lot of criticism from Democrats and higher education groups. But the thing that I've brought up many times is that when revenue doesn't come in as expected and you have to make reductions to things that are funded with general revenue, higher education is almost always going to be targeted because it's it's primarily funded with this fungible funding source called general revenue. So as the leader of the Democratic Party in the House, what alternative would you do when when money is is not coming in as 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 it is to cutting things like Medicaid or higher education cuz I'm not seeing a lot of other areas that could be cut without even more outcry if the governor took that path? Well, I think we need to, one, look at what are some of our options for increasing revenue. Um, We have talked about the streamlined sales tax for a number of years, um, but just it has not gotten done. Um, That's money that um, when you purchase something on the Internet, um, the tax from that actually being able to collect that tax. Um, So that's one thing that we looked at. Um, The 2% uh, discount that we give corporations for simply paying their taxes on time. Um, That timely filing benefit, we don't give that to um, our, you know, our our individual taxpayers. Um, So that's something that we could look at, even if we didn't eliminate it completely, but perhaps um, reducing it some. I think we need to look at some options that um, we can look at um, increasing our revenues. We talk about wanting to bring businesses into our state, but if we can't provide a affordable um, education and produce the workforce, businesses aren't going to move to our state. And so as we keep cutting back on higher ed, um, you know, we're creating a challenge because the universities aren't going to have any options but to increase tuition. Now, when you look at, let's say, the recent disappointment where uh, neither St. Louis nor Kansas City made the Amazon uh, top 20 for possible second headquarters, and there's some other major headquarters that are floating around they're talking about, I mean, other major firms like Apple. I mean, do do you think that, um, I mean, there are some who believe that that Missouri's low tax rate is an advantage. But is there a point where it becomes less of an advantage if you're looked at as not having a strong education system and that sort of thing? I'm interested in your in your thoughts. Well, I don't. Missouri already has um, one of the lowest tax rates for businesses, so I don't necessarily think that our continue continuing to reduce that is is really any benefit to us. And when you look at our surrounding states, we are more than competitive. Um, I do think there are other things that contribute to why businesses don't want to come to Missouri. Um, I think, you know, Senate Bill 43 was a big issue um, where we basically said discrimination is okay in our state. We went from having one of the strongest anti-discrimination laws in the country to some of the weakest. Um, We look at the crime rates and um, in our major 
uh, metropolitan areas, and we're not seeing the legislature address that at all. Um, legislation has been filed by a number of people in the legislature. It doesn't even get hearings. Um, there's been, the governor doesn't even mention it. He's very good about going around and exercising with the police force, but he's not put together any kind of proposals that says, how do we help the, the police force um, do something about the crime rates in Kansas City and St. Louis? So until we start to address those things, um, I think those are some of the things that are important to businesses. Our public education system, making sure that we have a strong um, public education system is important to businesses. Those are the types of things that we need to address if we want to bring businesses into our state. I'm going to play a clip now from Senator Bill Eigel. He's a Republican from St. Charles County. And he, along with State Representative Travis Fitzwater of Cowley County, introduced a multifaceted tax cut proposal before session started. Um, among other things, it pairs down the income tax but raises the gas tax by about six cents. It also takes away the, the federal deduction for Missouri's state taxes and also lowers some of the, the tax credits. This was his argument and why he feels his proposal that reduces uh, especially income taxes is the way to go. So I think there's a compelling message that as we move away from the income tax, what will start to grow is our population. And as our population grows, that's going to that's going to broaden the tax base that we're drawing from in the first place. I think that's the best thing we can do. Now, obviously, this is a, a perspective that maybe isn't shared by all the Republicans and Democrats in, in the legislature. But how would you respond to that? Because I'm sure that that argument is going to be made over the next few weeks and months. I mean, I guess I would like to know what what is he basing that on? How does he know that that the population is all of a sudden going to grow? Um, if I mean, yes, you may have reduced or eliminated the income tax, but if all of your other taxes, you, you've got to replace it with something. Um, so you your sales tax, or as you mentioned, the gas tax, if those are going to increase, is that going to put such a burden on people um, that they're not going to consider moving to Missouri? I don't, I, I'm not sure. You'd have to show me some statistics that say that's going to happen, because I don't necessarily agree to that. Now, the other aspect of this entire tax debate is actually involving a tax increase. Um, there was a, a Senate House commission that released a report arguing that there needs to be a 10 cent gas tax increase and I think a 12 cent diesel tax increase. As I mentioned before, Senator Eigel's bill actually increases the gas tax by about six cents. But interestingly, I'm going to play two clips back to back. This idea has sparked a difference of opinion between the governor and lieutenant governor. The first clip I'm going to play is the governor at his press conference unveiling the budget, talking about his tax plan and the prospect of a gas tax increase. Here is Governor Greitens. When we roll out uh, our tax plan in detail next week, sir, you'll see that this is uh, a plan we're really proud of. Um, it is a bold plan. It's going to reduce taxes on 97% of Missourians, and that's what we want to do. We want to cut taxes for the people of Missouri. Um, our plan will not include an increase in the gas tax, sir. And here is Governor Parson talking with me earlier this month. I don't think there's any question. We have to do something for the infrastructure of the state of Missouri. If we, have, if we expect to be um, competitive in economics around the United States and the globe, we've got to do something for infrastructure in the state. And I'm talking about airports. I'm talking about our river ports. 
talking about rail, talking about our highway system, our bridges, and it's gonna cost something to do that. I don't know any way to sugarcoat that for anybody to say, you know, we're gonna do this by transferring money out of this agency or that agency. It's gonna cost something. You know, my firm belief is the Constitution was set up to do this through a gas tax or through a use tax on that. I think that's where we should go, to some form of that. Maybe there's another form or two of something. But anyhow, but the bottom line is, I think we as statewide elected officials have got to be willing to get out here on the stuff and say, look, we need to do this for the betterment of the state of Missouri, and you're going to have to pay for it. Obviously, two very different perspectives from two Republican statewide officials. I'd be interested to hear what, what your take is over whether uh, Missouri should raise its gas tax. Well, you know, I would agree with the lieutenant governor in that we have some serious infrastructure issues that we have been kind of kicking down the road, so to speak, uh, for years. Um, and at some point, you've got to stop and take a look at that because our highways are, are actually getting dangerous. Um, and putting little bitty amounts into the budget is not going to address those needs. We're talking millions and millions of dollars. Um, and there are really very few methods um, to raise the, the, the type of dollars that we need to deal with that. Um, and the gas tax has been um, one option. Um, people have talked about toll roads. Um, it's my understanding that the toll roads is a challenge because of the amount that would have to be charged would be incredibly high. Um, I will tell you that when polling my constituents, my constituents um, opted for the gas tax. Um, but we also know that when it actually comes to a vote, trying to increase, you know, taxes, gas tax, or even when we were trying to increase the cigarette tax, has been something that the people haven't necessarily um, agreed with. But um, I agree with the lieutenant governor in that it's our responsibility to take this to our citizens and explain to them the need for this, um, why it is so important. Um, and the dire straits that we are in when we start talking about our highways and our bridges and our infrastructure overall. Um, I think the governor's um, proposal has some small amounts, but it, as I say, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's not fixing anything. It's just continuing to kick that can down the road. You mentioned before that this is probably an idea that needs to go to the people. At least that's what I, what I gleaned from your, your last comment. There's been some suggestion, including from House Speaker Todd Richardson, that a gas tax should be paired with 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 further tax cuts, similar to what Senator Eigel is doing. Do you think that's the right approach to take, or do you think that there should just be a single bill voting on a gas tax increase that legislators vote on to send to the people? Well, I think the question is, what the, what does that proposal look like? And again, when we're already looking at um, revenue issues, can we provide the basic services that we need to provide to our low-income folks, to our seniors, to our disabled folks? Can we provide those necessary services um, if we give that tax increase? And so I can't, I don't, I can't say yay or nay at this point until we actually see what that proposal looks like. Um, but what I do know is if we don't do something about our infrastructure, um, that's going to be a problem. And it's also going to impact businesses coming to our state. If they can't, if the highways are not such that they can get their product from one place to another, um, or rail or 
our ports, they're not going to come. And and so we, we absolutely have to address that issue. Now, um, in the midst of all this, I mean, the General Assembly is going to have to take action early on if they want to move the um, laborers' referendum on the last year's right-to-work bill from November to August. I mean, the governor can't do it. It has to be done by the General Assembly um, if they're going to do it. Uh, some of the Republicans want to do it in part because they think it might help Democrats too much in November. I'm just interested, A, on what you're hearing. Do you think that uh, Speaker Richardson is going to push to do that early on? Because in the midst of all this other stuff about the budget, they have to act quickly in order to make the deadline. I'm they just they, in- don't they have to act by February, Joe? Yes. So what what are you hearing from either your Democratic or Republican colleagues on that issue? At this point, I really haven't heard anything. And I think in you asked me early on um, about the distractions, um, and I think that's part of the challenge um, is that there has been so much distraction. We're four weeks in, and and the governor has been the, the topic of everything. I mean, he has basically taken the spotlight, and I think that's having an impact on what happens. But I haven't had any conversations um, about moving that to August as opposed to November. My preference would be to leave it in November, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I, there, there are two schools of thought about that entire situation. Um, if it's left in November, as Joe mentioned, it could drive a lot of organized labor members out to the polls during the midterm elections when Senator McCaskill and Auditor Galloway are up for re-election. On the other hand, if it's moved to August, and that is likely the main focus of the August primary, you could make an argument that it could be easier to effectively repeal right to work if labor just puts all of its focus on repealing it in August. Like, it's not really a sure bet for Republicans either way, which is why I don't think you've seen a particularly quick a decision to move it at this point. Is, is Are you getting any sense that that may be playing into the, the decision making as well? I think so. I think everyone has kind of a theory as to whether it's better to to have it in August versus November. No one has the the you know, the crystal ball that says exactly what's going to happen. And so you just really haven't seen a whole lot of movement at this point. Now, in the midst of all this, <laughs> you've, other... you've said that like six times. OK, by the OK, way. <laughs> OK, OK. Well, hey, this is an unusual session. At the and, beginning. and I'm going to keep that in. Keep going. OK, Joe. OK. <laughs> OK. So aside from I mean, going back to the budget just briefly, one of the things that's happening is that always every session, there's always some sort of um, anti-abortion bills. There's always stuff that has to do with reproductive rights, um, almost every session. Some gets more of a hearing than others. Now, the governor's budget increases money for the pregnancy resource centers, which are basically operated by uh, abortion opponents or groups that are opposed to abortion. The idea is to encourage women to carry on their pregnancies. Now, uh, you've got critics, especially in the abortion rights camp, who claim that these uh, centers perpetrate false information and are not helpful, and they don't like the state money going there instead of to other programs to help low-income people. Now, Deb Lavender, a state representative from Kirkwood, has announced that she's filing a bill that would require them, these pregnancy resource centers, to at least change what sort of 
information they pre present to people because she says they're giving out false information. My question is, do you think that any of the re reproductive uh, bills are going to get much of attention this session? I mean, since Republicans often bring up something because it does ignite their base. But on the Democratic side right now, it seems to be one of those issues that does as well in, in reverse for uh, progressive women who are Democrats. I'm interested in your thoughts if that's going to be much of an issue this session. There hasn't been much. I mean, there's a few volatile gun bills that are floating out there. I'm just interested in what your thoughts about the social issues and how they might play out in the next couple months. You know, it's it'll it, really it'll be interesting to see. Um, I doubt that we see a lot of movement, particularly of the Democratic bills. Um, but as it relates to the pregnancy resource centers, there is a concern um, that they are providing um, accurate information. I do find it interesting that that is an area that we want to put more dollars into. I will tell you, when I served on budget and met with the departments, um, that is an area that did not request any additional money, yet we continue to put more and more dollars into it each year. Um, and in fact, at least in one of those years, they didn't spend the dollars that we did appropriate. So I'm not really sure why we're wasting dollars there. Um, when, you know, we cut in-home care last year, um, clearly that is an area I believe is far more important. Um, taking care of our seniors is 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 a, you know, top priority, and that's where we need to be looking. Um, I don't know that there's an appetite right now um, to see a lot of those women issues um, in the legislature, but, you know, time will tell. I, I want to I kind of circle back to our first topic, which is the uncertainty over the governor. So, and my question now is partly political, but also partly procedural when it comes to you as a legislator. I think that there are two lines of thought from Missouri Democrats right now. On the one hand, I think that there is kind of a desire from some elements of the party to try and and get Greitens out of office somehow, feeling that, you know, what he did warrants disqualification of him being governor. And they would rather work with Governor Parson, Lieutenant Governor Parson, even though they probably disagree with him on many issues and even though he may end up being more successful legislatively. The other line of thought that I've heard, though, and this is probably more from a political standpoint, is that some Democrats actually want Greitens to remain in office and have him as a politically weak figure. As a lightning rod? As a lightning <laughs> rod, as opposed to having Parson in there who could, as I said before, accomplish more of the Republican agenda and be less of a lightning rod going into 2020 or something like that. So that that is kind of a long setup, but I'm interested <laughs> to hear your take about what your colleagues are thinking about this. Well, you know, I, I absolutely think that the longer that the governor is here, um, it creates more of a distraction within the legislature and just the uh, tension between um, particularly the governor and the Senate uh, makes it less likely that um, substantive things are going to pass. Um, the other side of me says 
this is this is just a black mark on Missouri, and this is not the you know we don't want to be seen um, from a national perspective or state perspective um, as a state whose governor uh, you know created uh, perpetrated blackmail. Um, but at the same time, right now, the only thing that we know for sure that the governor has done is that um, he had an affair. And so I, you know, we've there. There's an investigation out there that's going on. Um, I have said, if there is some evidence that it is more than that, um, I will uh, ask for the governor to resign. But right now, that's all we have. Right, as of uh, Thursday, January 25th. Correct. Now there were there were some Democrats and some Republicans who, in that first week called for the governor to step down and he didn't do so he, he didn't do so and he's emphasized his his commitment now one of the things that actually Jason and I both noticed though is, is that the state Democratic Party until lately hasn't said that much I said a little bit but not that much it's been mainly individual members was there a, a, a concerted reason for that no I think um, I think people were just really just trying to wait and see what the full story is I think, as you know, the rumor mill around the Capitol um, has been pretty crazy. And as as much as we find the information troubling, I don't think people necessarily wanted to step out there um, and find the governor guilty until there was enough um, ev- evidence that we could say, yes, this is what he's done. Um, have you worked with Lieutenant Governor Parson when he was in the Senate before? Yes. What's kind of your impressions of of him as far as collaboration with the legislature? Oh, uh, you know, for me personally, I will tell you I have a much better relationship with lieutenant governor than I have with the governor. Um, But I also recognize that the lieutenant governor is going to, um, he will be more effective in moving uh, Republican agenda. Um, I think there are some issues that we agree on um, that um, I think could be positive um, from a Democratic perspective. Um, but, you know, that's all speculation. We just have to this wait is and all, see. Exactly. It, it is all speculation. The reason I ask is, and I, I've mentioned this on numerous appearances and on this show, and it was just relayed in those two clips. The, the governor and the lieutenant governor disagree on a whole host of policy issues. It's not just transportation spending. I think that the two men would have done things differently with the Board of Education appointment situation. Um, I, I also think that, uh, and, and I've mentioned this many times, they have stark differences of opinion on low-income housing tax credits, where the governor basically engineered those incentives from being frozen being issued right. this year to Lieutenant Governor Parson has been a pretty strong advocate for that incentive. And it would not surprise me that after this news broke, if people and interests that support the low income housing tax credit would have an incentive for Greitens to go. So Parson becomes governor and reverses that decision that is literally worth hundreds of millions of dollars to banks, syndicators, and developers over the next 48 years. I'm not sure if you've actually gleaned that, but do you think that some of the 
intensity on trying to get Greitens out of office from people is related to the differences between Greitens and Parson on on certain issues that I just mentioned? I think that is that's probably true. Um, although I, you know, I think it goes just beyond that. But just talking about the low income housing tax credits, because you mentioned all the bankers and developers and all of that, but coming from an urban core, um, that's how we get development in the urban core. And so losing those tax credits, um, it, it's a big deal. Um, and unfortunately, when the governor put this freeze on, what he did not do is create any other kind of program to replace it. Um, and I'm not saying that the tax credit program is perfect and doesn't, doesn't need some changes, um, but it's absolutely needed until we have something else in place. Um, do you think there's been I, – I, it, it seems like because of all this other stuff and the scandal, some of that has sort of fallen on, on the wayside. There hasn't been as much focus on it. It's sort of like in D.C. where there's a new scandal every other day, and so some stuff that would normally get a lot of attention doesn't. Um, are you running into some of that? Well, I mean, clearly, you know, we talked about is this distracting, and you've just proven that this is absolutely distracting. The fact that there's been little discussion of the low-income housing tax credits, and quite frankly, the governor, there's been very little conversation from the governor even on the infrastructure issues, even though he had a task force that um, met all summer. Uh, we had a task force on corrections that um, met all summer as well, of which the governor has not really talked about any of the recommendations that came out of that. So I think we're not hearing about really a lot of the issues that are important to um, Missouri citizens because of this scandal. It is very much impacting um, the conversation that is going on in this legislature. Shifting a little bit, when we're talking about all this distraction, I mean, you've got a big election coming up this fall, the last two Democrats holding statewide office in Missouri. Um, McCaskill and State Auditor Galloway are going to be up. In order for them to have any chance in Missouri, um, as you know, um, they're going to have to have a really huge urban turnout. Um, there have been elections over the years. I'm thinking Gene Carnahan's effort to get uh, elected to the U.S. Senate in 2002 after she held the seat for two years. Um, at the t She lost to Jim Talent, and there were... Um, Monday morning quarterbacking was immediately saying that the turnout wasn't strong enough in Kansas City and that they were blaming a lot of it on that because it was a close race. Now, so my point is they're going to need, I mean, Democrats are going to need a strong turnout in Kansas City as well as St. Louis. Can, I mean, from your standpoint, what are you hearing from your uh, constituents or other Democratic activists over there? Is there interest? Do they think things are revved up or do they think that... Um, McCaskill and Galloway have yet to ignite the passions that are going to be needed to develop a strong turnout? Will will the labor bill have to be, the referendum actually have to be something that is used instead? I'm just interested in, in your thoughts, uh, nine months out, just sort of how you see this. Well, I, you know, I am seeing when I go to various meetings, I, you know, I think Democrats are very much engaged. Um, I think people in general are very much engaged. Um, I don't, they don't like what's going on. 
Uh, they don't like what's going on nationally um, or in our state. Um, quite frankly, I'm seeing some Republicans that are not happy with what's going on and are looking for something different, too. So I think um, you're going to see a very energized voting population overall um, as we move into this election cycle. And if you if if what has happened um, in a few other states over these in some of these special elections is any indication, um, women and 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 Democrats are absolutely going to be engaged. Um, they are paying attention and um, are going to have a significant impact on how elections turn out. Uh, and kind of piggybacking on Joe's point, we actually had your your colleague uh, Representative Kip Kendrick on the show making this aspect of how Democrats can do. Uh, Kip is from Monroe City, Missouri, which is in Northeast Missouri. And the point that he's made for a while is if the Democrats continue to get 20 to 25, 30 percent in rural districts, then they're going to be in the super minority in the House and Senate probably until we're all dead, basically. Or hell freezes over. Or until hell freezes over. And it's going to make it much more difficult for people like McCaskill and Galloway to win statewide elections. There's also the other component that Galloway and McCaskill need to do well in suburban areas like Clay, Platte County, and the Kansas City area. Yeah, and Jackson County. And and, and also suburban parts of Jackson County. How does that go into the equation? Because I know that you're leaving the House... But I know that you also want to make sure that your 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 successor as minority leader has more Democrats. How do the, how does the Democrats do better in, in the districts that take in the rural and suburban areas with with the backdrop I just mentioned? Well, I think one of the one of the things is make sure that we have someone running, um, which has been uh, a challenge uh, in past years. And what we're finding, as I said, um, Democrats are much more energized. And so, one, we will have a lot more candidates out there. Um, if you don't have a candidate to vote for, your um, desire necessarily to go vote isn't that great. Um, but when you have a choice, um, I think that in itself is going to energize Democrats and will be, a, be very positive um, for both our auditor and Senator McCaskill. Now, I mean, in Alabama, it turns out that African-American women, many of them believe that they made the difference. Um, I've written earlier uh, last year about the rising number of African-American women in key political positions, including you. Uh, I'm just interested, uh, do you think, I mean, because I mean, aside from women as a whole, I mean, they are a strong subset. I'm just interested in your thoughts of what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Well, I know I am personally working with that. Um, because I think it's very important. And, and I will say African-Americans as a whole, I think, um, have somewhat been taken for granted uh, within the Democratic Party. And now they are having to take notice. And we're going to make sure that they they continue to take notice um, because we are going to be out there and it is not going to be a vote that you're going to be able to ignore. And so I think that you are going to see um, a much larger population of African-American females voting. Um, and they are going to be the difference in some of these elections. Well, my parting question for you, as as was mentioned on the outside of the show, you, you are barred from running for the House again. But what's next for you politically? I know that I think that you're in a Senate district that will become open in 2020. 
Mm-hmm. And there's always opportunities locally that some legislators take. Are, have you made any decision about what you're going to do next from a, a political or electoral standpoint? Um, at this point, I have not uh, made any specific decisions, um, but I'm sure you will see me someplace else. <laughs> I, you know, I do enjoy public service, and uh, so I think I'll, I will be in some public service arena. I just have not decided where that will be. You know, I've asked that question probably a hundred times on this show, and, and I usually get a similar answer like that. So congratulations on joining the I'm Not Ruling Anything Out Club. Um, on that note, I want to just thank you very much for your time this afternoon. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how could people find you either on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? So I am on Twitter at at Gail Beatty. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.